You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Run the Riot podcast. And today we've got, once again, Mr. Brody Sharp all the way from Australia. We originally had him on episode 55 and he brought a lot of good content about injury prevention. And uh, we continue with that. He's got a new ebook out, which uh, I will put uh, in the show notes a link to that you can get and just listen to all that he has to say. He's a wealth of information. He's helped so many runners out with injuries and and uh, injury prevention. And so, man, always just a, a joy to talk to him. Uh, and I hope you get a lot of value out of this. And even if you're not injured now or haven't been, listen to this because uh, it's just a lot of good tips on keeping healthy, which we all want to do. We hate being injured. We hate having issues when the race comes up. Real quick, before we get started, we are brought to you by Exoskin. Uh, Exoskin is it's amazing apparel. It's ama- I love the toe socks. I love the calf sleeves. Uh, the shirts are so comfortable. They're moisture wicking. Uh, they have they're copper infused. Man, they're they're just really really good. And you've heard me say before, I I, I wear the toe socks and hundred wet hundred miler, and I never change them. Never change the shoes. My feet were happy. So check out Exoskin.usa and use the code Run the riot for a discount r-u-n-t-h-e-r-i-o-t and we're also brought to you by the outlaw race series uh man just check it out www.outlaw100.com so many good races all throughout the year around the state of oklahoma and southern kansas put on by ultra runners all kinds of distances uh man they will take care of you they believe in what they're doing and uh man just a great great series of races check them out and i think that's that's all for now, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, check out my conversation with Brody Sharp. Welcome to another episode of the Run the Riot podcast, and we've got a return visitor today, a friend from Australia, Mr. Brody Sharp. How's it going, man? It's going well, David. Thanks for having me back on for round two. All right, man. Well, so what have you been up to? I think it's probably been about a year uh, since I've had you on. Uh, How's life, man? What's going on? Well, with lockdown, like not too much happens. I think um, like Melbourne itself has been like, in terms of like COVID cases being quite uh, low, but in terms of lockdown and lockdown conditions has been quite severe. Um, so not a whole lot has happened. My girlfriend and I did purchase a house um, and we're moving into that next week, but we're only moving 15 minutes from where we're living now. So not too much of a change, but um, that's all we can do at this stage. Yeah, <laughs> There's not yeah. a lot else. Yeah. Are, are you, are you guys able to, uh, I mean, I heard this pretty, pretty stringent rules. Are you able to get out and, and run or, or, or is it restricted if you do? Um, I've never been hindered with the running, like okay. in our most severe lockdowns, we're able to exercise for one hour outside once per day. Um, but as soon as that, that eases, it quickly eases to like two hours, three hours outside of exercise once a day. Um, it's sometimes just like the radius, like Melbourne in particular has been quite severe with its lockdown restrictions. Um, yeah. probably the most severe in Australia, but if it's say, at its maximum and we're only allowed to exercise for an hour or two per day. It's usually only five kilometers from your house, like per radius. And so you'd find a, a maybe an eight K loop around that five K radius. And if you want to do that once or a couple of times, then um, it's, it it suits me pretty well. I'm not an ultra runner like everyone else is probably listening. So I don't need to go out for several hours, but um, it, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do you have a treadmill? I don't have a treadmill. I'm not a big fan of treadmill running. Um, if it's raining and it's really miserable outside, I'll just run the next day. Um, we're pretty blessed with weather here, but um, yeah, I mainly just stick to, if I have to do an indoor session, I'll usually just um, tee up my bike and just do a bike indoor session rather than a treadmill run. Okay. So, so let, let's talk about that. Why, why aren't you a fan of treadmills, man? Is it, is it, a, is it a, just a, pre- a preference for you or just, just, 
I think I've never really had a treadmill that available to me. Okay, I've okay, never okay, had okay. one in the house because I've just gone out and ran. Yeah. Um, I might enjoy it. I, I don't want to knock it back, but I've just never really tried it. I love fresh air. I love nature. Yeah, yeah. I love running by creeks and rivers and um, wildlife. And so you just don't get that with with the um, the treadmill. But I do enjoy my indoor riding. I do enjoy okay. my cycling sessions if I have something to watch or something to listen to. So I might not knock it back if I give it a try. I thought you were going to have some kind of like a physiotherapy reason you didn't like it or something. So they just preference. And, and I, I've got one right here. I mean, if, you know, I much prefer being outside, but when the weather gets, you know, really terrible or, um, you know, it's late at night and I just got to knock something out, I can jump on a treadmill. I have done, have done a hundred miler on the treadmill, uh, wow. the dre- treadmill challenge. That was, um, that was my, that was mind numbing. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you want to test your mental resiliency, just go ahead and do that. Oh yeah. I was watching all kinds of ridiculous things on Netflix, man. It was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Well, um, well, so yeah. So, I mean, with, I'm glad, I'm glad you can still get out and, and do some things. Has it, uh, has it hindered? I know you do a lot of, and for those who, who haven't been, um, who haven't heard the, the initial podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen, but you do a lot of, uh, con- consulting, uh, over the internet, right? I mean, you do, you help yeah. a lot of runners with, with their issues, you know, over the internet. So, so it hasn't hindered what you do a whole bunch, right? That hasn't hidden, hindered me one bit. Um, good, in good. fact, it's actually aided my business, like just moving just before the world, before the epidemic, I started my online physiotherapy business. So just treating runners, <laughs> treating runners all over the world. And so it actually helped me a bunch, but slowly transitioning this new house that we we purchased, my girlfriend and I, we're going to convert part of that house into a bit of a clinic. So I'll mm-hmm. still be running the online stuff just as much as I was before, but slowly starting to see more in-person consults, which is exciting. It's a big step, but um, lockdown's going to prevent that, but I'll set everything up. And then when we open up, then when I guess when Australia opens up, then my business will be ready. Nice. Nice, man. That's awesome. Uh, do you find, I mean, so, I mean, we're, we're talking right now. I'm in, I'm in the States, you're in Australia, but, uh, where's the most interesting place that you're, you, you know, you're treating somebody through the internet. And, uh, do you have to like, I don't know, get up at like midnight sometime or crazy hours <laughs> to, to get it done or something? Well, uh, the thing is like my calendar, when someone books for an online appointment, the calendar availability is only the hours I choose. Okay, and okay. so I do choose some nights to stay probably until 6.30, 7 o'clock PM, mm-hmm. only just because my um, UK runners, they wake up and have one, need to have a morning consult because I can't wake up at 5 a.m. to chat with them on their evening. And so need to be a little bit flexible, but yeah, it's definitely yeah. not midnight calls or anything like that. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess at five o'clock in the morning, even if you, you know, you would do that, you might not be the best Brody you can be. <laughs> no, no. And I always talk in my podcast, I always talk about the importance of sleep when it comes to recovery. And so there's no way I'm going to be disrupting that. Yeah. I hear you, man. So, Hey, let's talk about that real quick. Okay. So uh, also uh, I want to encourage you to check out Brody's podcast, um, the run smarter podcast. So, you know, I'll put, make sure and put links to that in the show notes. Uh, we all want to run smarter. Uh, you know, if we can work smarter and not harder, <laughs> but working hard is good, yeah. but you know, if we can be smart and, uh, and, and tweak our set, tweak things and, and do, do well, that's, that's, that's good. Um, but so, uh, man, where was I going? <laughs> I just told you, like, Oh, the podcast talking about sleep, man, even when I can sleep, even when I still wake up like this morning, I, I was off and I was up at five o'clock in the morning, you know? So I was like, ah, I guess I'm going to the gym, going to <laughs> go run, you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, have you found, I, I don't know, in runners that you, uh, I guess, coach and encourage and just people de- need different amounts of sleep, I guess? There's, I guess, um, recommendations. There's very generic guideline recommendations for the adult population of eight hours, but yeah. the, there's a balance between people need to realize that they they don't get stronger when they do their hard efforts or when they do their their hard say gym sessions or faster runs, that's not when you get stronger. Mm -hmm. You get stronger after doing those hard sessions when your recovery is adequate. And so when it comes to all your recovery strategies or your recovery techniques, sleep is the number one best thing you have in your arsenal. Like if you were to compile all other recovery uh, methods, so we're talking like stretching, uh, foam rolling, massage balls, like hot, cold therapies, hydrotherapies, all of those things. If you were to stack all of them up, they wouldn't 
they wouldn't surpass the benefits that you get with sleep. And so that's how important we're talking. And there is a, there's almost like a balance or like an equation that we need to talk about when it comes to reducing your risk of injuries. Um, because we do want our recovery to be adequate. Uh, that's like, if you do a hard training session and then your recovery is adequate afterwards, that's how you get stronger. But there's also things we all know about overtraining. If someone um, has a training error, they run, 30 miles a week and all of a sudden they're running 50 miles a week and then they get injured. That's overtraining, but you can also under recover. So you can also be working out twice a week. You can be running 30 miles a week and adapt to that. And then nothing change. All that changes is your sleep. Mm -hmm. And that could be under recovering and you can theoretically get overuse injuries from Mm -hmm. under recovering. And so that's why um, these recovery strategies need to be really important because I do see, say if someone wants to train for a marathon and then they want to train for an ultra, then they want to train for a 200 miler. And all of a sudden their external load just keeps getting higher and higher and higher as the years go on. Your recovery needs to match that. There needs to be a balance. You can't keep your pre-existing recovery strategies and expect that you can just ramp up all this external load, all this mileage and keep your recovery strategies the exact same. It needs to balance out. And so uh, going back to your original question around like um, how much sleep you should get, it is generally recommended that eight hours for an adult is um, adequate. But if you're an ultra athlete or if you're a marathoner um, and you're putting yourself through a lot of stress, you have more external load. So theoretically, you need to recover harder and potentially get more sleep. And I do have ultra runners who sleep nine hours, 10 hours plus naps during the week. They probably nap twice a week and yeah. uh, on weekends just to extend their, their total amount of sleep because they recognize the benefits of it. Um, so if you are in a peak part of your training schedule, I guess you really need to prioritize sleep. And if there's unexpected things where you're not sleeping quite well for a couple of weeks or you know, there's a bit of stress or you're moving house or you've had a newborn <laughs> baby and there's um, there's a lot of stress and deprived sleep associated with that. You definitely don't want to increase your mileage. You want to stay stagnant or decrease it slightly until your sleep starts to improve. And that's when you pick things back up. Hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. And I think I've said this before on the podcast, your body interprets all stress as stress, you know, and so training stress, life stress and all that. And uh, so eight to 10 hours or more, I, I'm in trouble, Brody. I, I have trouble. Uh-huh. I have trouble sleeping like long, but I do. I get off of work and I come home and the first thing I do is I go take a, like a 15 minute power nap before I start doing stuff. So I, I think I get an average of about six to seven hours of sleep. But in, even when I can sleep more, I just I pop up and I don't know. It's, anyway, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's something to set, be said, but because um, we know that there's different like people respond to sleep differently also. And like when we make these recommendations and we say these guidelines, there's only just, um, there's just that guidelines, but we know people respond. People can really thrive off five hours of sleep. It's it's rare, but some people can definitely do it. Other people need 10 to 12 hours. Uh, People wake up very differently as well. People have different, say um, different schedules. They Mm -hmm. have like people really thrive in going to bed late and then waking up late. Some yeah. really thrive going to bed early, waking up early. It's just yeah. there. Um, I don't yeah. want to say genetics, but it's just like individual factors that really need to play a key role. Well, and, 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 and the other part of it is too, I talk to people who don't, don't sleep real well, but I, I, I put my head on the pillow and within two minutes I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping and I'm out. I mean, I am, I, I get quality sleep when I'm in the bed and then when yeah. I wake up. So, so I get, you know, I get, quality, not quantity. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And it's good to what, what you're talking about with stress as well. Like um, you're exactly right when the body doesn't really know the difference between stressors, like you can have good stress, like a run, a hard, mm-hmm. like hill repeats, hard, like session in the gym. Um, there's certain hormones that circulate through your body to say, yes, we are in exercise mode. Um, we're in this kind of fitness state, but when it comes to emotional stress and being stressed at work or stressed with family, the same hormones are circulating through your body. So that your body actually doesn't know the difference. Mm. And when we talk about recovery, your body needs to switch into that recovery mode in order for you to get stronger. If you do your run and then you're constantly stressed afterwards, your body's just not switching into that recovery mode. And so external load is going to compile and 
build upon itself until there's an overuse injury. If you can't find a way to switch into that recovery mode. And if sleeping isn't great for you, then you can try meditation. You can try breathing exercises. You can try just finding things that make you unwind. It might be reading a book. It might be doing float tank sessions or something just to help switch you into that, um, that recovery state. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you know, as, as, as a, as a coach, when you talk to people, you know, you can't just, it's not just the running part. You got to kind of know, Hey, what's, what's going on in your life. You know I mean? That's as a, to be a good coach, you kind of have to ask those questions. Cause when people have those stressors, you, you need to know what's, what's happening, what's going on. And if, Hey, if we need to back off training a little bit, uh, to, so you can rest or so you can, like you said, move into that house or have that baby or whatever, you know, um, and, and help adjust those things and help them cope with it. Um, you still got to get work in to do, to do the race. But, uh, what I was going to say, I, I just want all the ultra runners listening here. Um, it's good to rest. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, that's part of training and it's good to prioritize rest. And because I know, I just know, I know so many of, uh, of my friends and they'll just go, 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 go. And, um, yeah. And injuries, like you said, you keep doing that and injuries will happen. It's rest is part of the work. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you are the individual, if you've looked over the last say six or 12 months and you've been injured multiple times, or you've been nursing an injury for multiple months and it's just not getting better. Like I do recognize some ultra athletes saying, Brody, okay. I don't, um, I don't sleep too well, but I'm still running pretty high mileage. I've done so for the last 12 months and I haven't broken down. Um, do I need to prioritize sleep? And I say, well, you know, probably not as high if you are, it's probably not as high of priority if you're thriving currently, but if you've looked back over the last 12 months, which it's very common for people to have two or three separate injuries over the last 12 months or be trying to manage one injury for several months and it keeps returning or keeps popping up every time you build up your mileage. That's very, very common. If that's happening to you and you're, um, you're not too sure why, or you just really, it's just being really stubborn, then maybe you need to explore the stress side of things and the sleep side of things, the recovery side of things. Um, because I've got runners reaching out to me all the time and say, I diligently follow my running program. I don't do ha- I don't have any fluctuations in my training schedule. I slowly build up like, you know, 10% um, here and there with some deload weeks, but I'm still getting these overload injuries. That's when the conversation needs to be had about, mm. okay, what's your stress levels? What's your sleep? What's your nutrition? What's your hydration like? And start to uncover something else because there might be a missing pattern there. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So um, I, I, I like this question. You probably, you, you probably get asked it. I don't know. You probably get asked this or talk about it. What's as you're treating runners, what is the most, I guess, what's the most common overuse injury that, that you come across, um, you know, just across the board, I guess, across the world. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think with, when it comes to runners reaching out to me for online physio, it, it's usually quite, it's usually on the severe side of things. It's usually ones who have seen their local physio or local PT or local Cairo. They've seen, they've had multiple scans, seen multiple doctors and specialists and still not overcoming their injury. And then they maybe listen to the podcast and then they reach out and say, Brody, I've tried everything. What can you do? So Mm. by the time I I guess they get to me, in most cases, they're, they're on the severe end and they're on the kind of chronic stages. And so for that particular category, there's two things that pop up. One, it's plantar fasciitis all the Mm. time. Um, And it's two, it's a a condition called proximal hamstring tendinopathy, which is a tendon that attaches onto your sitting bone, which is very common with kind of faster runners, uh, triathletes. Um, It's extremely debilitating. It's, It's extremely chronic if it's mismanaged for a long time. And that particular condition is around about 50% of the runners I'm currently seeing. And so it's very, very common, um, especially because it is that chronic severe um, sort of thing. And plantar fasciitis and this proximal hamstring tendinopathy, they tend to start to uh, impact your everyday life, not just running. It starts to impact your sitting uh, for the hamstring one. For plantar fasciitis, it starts to impact standing, walking, like your work, it starts to impact, you know, social gatherings, all those sort of things. And so um, once that happens and it sort of molds into everyday life, it becomes very urgent for them. It becomes a a severe thing. It's very hard to get rid of. If standing for 10 minutes is starting to irritate the the plantar fascia, 
that becomes a very hard issue to manage. And yeah. so, yeah, they're, they're usually the two type of populations that I see. But if you talk to the, or if you follow the research of the most common running related injuries, knee pain, patellofemoral pain, which is just pain around the kneecap is the most common area affected by runners. Yeah. Uh, I see ITB syndrome very frequently. I see um, lateral hip pain, shin splints, um, stress fractures. They're very, very common yeah. conditions when it comes to runners as well. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because just, I think this week I've seen a few times people posting something about, you know, of course, I, the, the IT band syndrome. I see it a lot. And plantar fasciitis. I see that all the time. People asking about it. Hey, what do I do? What do, you know, just in, in forums and stuff. And um, I don't know, I guess it's, it's good to know if other people had it, what they did, but uh, it's probably better to see a professional and find out, Hey, let's find out what's, you know, how to, how to get it fixed and uh, how, how to make it not happen again. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is a lot that a runner can do if they educate themselves, uh, especially around management, especially around um, misconceptions around a certain injury. Take ITB syndrome, for example, a lot of people like if you post onto Facebook and say, I have ITB syndrome, what's worked for you or how do I overcome this? How many times would you see someone say you need to foam roll your ITB, you know, yeah. multiple times a day. And the research shows that just foam rolling your ITB doesn't do anything. The ITB is so thick, so fibrous, so dense. It's not contractile muscle. It doesn't relax and tighten like most people think. It's just a rigid structure. Yeah. And if you if you squash it with a, a foam roller and then just ro roll on it, it might feel good in the moment. It might alleviate some sort of pain. There's like this pain inhibition process that happens for a couple of minutes afterwards, but you're definitely not doing anything to help that injury. And especially if you're rolling it over that really irritated spot where the, the ITB irritation is, that flare thing, flares things up and actually makes things worse. And yeah. so educating yourself, like I have podcast episodes on ITB syndrome. Cool. I have success stories around runners who have had ITB issues for a long time. And then they've made certain corrections to their say running cadence or running terrain and they've had tremendous success. And so I do like to have success stories on the podcast so people can kind of see how they go managing things themselves, see how things yeah. like, if you can educate yourself, you can make real big end roads, but if, you try all those things, you educate yourself, and then you still struggle to overcome the injury. That's when you should probably seek out a health professional or, um, yeah, change your management somehow. Nice. Nice. Well, so, you know, you've, you've been doing this, this online, uh, you know, help helping runners out. And, um, you know, so you've, you're, you've, you're, you're kind of figuring out all the things that runners deal with. And so you've, you've, You've written a couple of things. Uh, you've got some some online books and some different things out there. So let's let's talk a little bit about that and and what you know what the approach that you took to to writing these things. Yeah, sure. So my uh, volume one of the ebooks that I wrote was how to ten principles to reduce your risk of injury or overcome your current injury. And I wrote that because if you ask a runner what's what do you want to learn more about? They always say injury prevention, mm. or they say, I want to overcome my current injury. Um, that's usually the number one thing that pops up. And so I decided to, uh, two years ago, create volume one ebook, uh, which is 10 universal principles that every runner needs to know to reduce your risk of injury. And that's exactly when I started the Run Smarter podcast. And the first 10 episodes of the Run Smarter podcast correlate to those 10 chapters. We sort of- okay do a deep dive into those 10 chapters with the 10 first 10 episodes. So that's why whenever someone finds the run smarter podcast, I always say, go to those first 10 episodes, listen to them first before scrolling through the rest of the feed. But more recently, there's another thing that pops up. If you ask runners, what's, what do you want to learn more about? They say, number one, reduce your risk of injury, but number two is increase their running performance and do so safely. Yeah. And so I have started um, and just released volume two ebook, which is how to strive and thrive for an injury-free PB and it's how to get your personal best as safely as you can, how to build up your mileage, how to build up your speed um, in the smartest way possible. And yeah. again, 10 chapters, 10 principles to follow. <laughs> and it's just like how evidence-based you can be, how safe you can be, what you need to know, what are the misconceptions when it comes to things like running technique or running form or shoes or something like that, or a warm up, um, and the, the way to get the best running performances you can. 
Nice. Well, because, you know, and I, I've seen it a bunch of times. I've, I've done it before. You know, you, 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 you set a goal and you have even your first chapter is goal setting, but you set a goal. You want to do something. You want to qualify for Boston. You want to do a sub three marathon. You want to do this. And you get out and just start training like a, like a crazy person, you know, and, and you end up with injuries. I mean, I've, I, I've years ago, I had a, a stress fracture. You talked about that, <laughs> Try, you know, just probably training too hard. And I was doing really well up until, snap, you know, <laughs> but you yeah. see that happen a lot. So I think, I mean, this is a good, good resource for people just to, uh, just to base their training on, you know, I mean, um, work through a process that kind of gives you some, some boundaries and helps you, I don't know, not, uh, not go crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something to, to be said for like runners, they're a very motivated bunch. Like we're a very motivated bunch. Yeah. We're very self-driven. Um, we also hold ourselves very accountable. We hold ourselves to a really high pinnacle. So when it comes to running goals and running ambitions that we have, we tend to overstretch ourselves slightly yeah. and we tend to push ourselves a little bit beyond what a, a normal like athlete would do. And so that's why we're very common and very susceptible to running related injuries, like overuse injuries. And yeah, injuries are so, so prevalent amongst the recreational running population. It's ridiculous how often runners are injured. It's ridiculous how prevalent it is. And some studies will show that like uh, 50 to 80% of runners are injured within any given year. That is ridiculous. And so it's, we need to educate ourselves because like you said, at the start of the podcast, people train harder, not smarter. And that's the exact reason why I started the run smarter podcast is because that's what we need to do. We need, we're, we're always injured. And so we need to change something. We need to learn and we need to educate ourselves. I know it, it's, it's crazy. Like something that we are made to do run. And, and I mean, every, everybody listening here, I'm sure has had an injury and it's, it happens. And so, um, I don't know, I, I think, I think what you're doing is awesome, you know, as far as the podcast and, and putting these books out so we can just try not to do that. Cause I, I'm grumpy when I can't run, man. When I can't do yeah. it, I can't do what I want to do and I can't train. Yeah. You can ask my wife. She's, she would agree. Uh, yeah. And yeah. what also happens is like when, when someone's injured, yes, they, people get grumpy, but where they get really stuck as well is when running is their only outlet, the only outlet they want for fi physical fitness, but also mm -hmm. for mental well-being as well. A lot of people say, I, um, I run for my mental health. I run mm -hmm. because it has the, the mental positive benefits. And as soon as you're injured and just say you can't run and that is taken away from you, one, you're either going to continue running and just make that injury worse yeah. or two, you're going to really get really agitated, really irritated, really grumpy because you can't run. You, you've taken that that one mode, one outlet away, and you're more likely to return too quickly. If you return too quickly, you're going to do too much too soon and the injury starts up again. And so that's where people really find um, it tricky. And where I find when I work with runners, those who have an alternate outlet, someone who said, yeah, I'm okay just to take a week or two off running and do some cycling or do some cross training or jump on the rower, have yeah. another cardio option in their arsenal can really come in handy. You know, I, I was going to, we were going to, I wanted to make sure and talk to you about cross training. I believe in cross training, but that's, that's something I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about the mental aspect, especially when you, when you can't run, when you're injured, that you still have an outlet mentally to go and, and do something. Um, that's, that's how I'm, I'm wired. Like I told you, I was at the gym this morning. I, I, I love working out too. And so like, even if I, I can't run, uh, I tore my ACL and have had multiple times and had surgery. I was crutching in the gym doing, I got to do something, you know? And mm -hmm. so I didn't even, you know, think about that benefit of cross training uh, to bring up. So that's, that's important. Uh, you know, if, if all we do is run, then when that's taken away, uh, that's tough. That's, that's really yeah. tough. Yeah. yeah. Walking can be okay for some people. Some people can deal with walking. Hiking is a good one as well. Mm -hmm. um, but some people just say like, oh, it just doesn't do it for me. I need to run and they feel the effects of running. Uh, but yeah, people can get really, really stuck. And I, I find it really tough to work with someone who has an injury that's so severe that we have to pull them back for running, but that's the only outlet, the only outlet they have. And I tell them, okay, let me do a a running routine for you. This is Monday, Monday through to Sunday. These are the, your say walk run days. This is how much I want you to do this, how fast I want you to go. And then you get them to follow the plan. And then they say, okay, 
I saw your plan, but I've wrote just below it what I'm actually going to do. And it's like double what you've suggested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. like, well, what's the point of me even being here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, so, so uh, we talked before on the podcast, you, you, uh, for injury prevention and, and getting stronger, uh, you know, you believe in, in cross training. And so when you're, I mean, just so somebody who's just not injured, they're getting into running, they're training for something. What are your, I don't know, what are your favorite things you get people to do to cross train, to help prevent injury, to help strengthen them for, I mean, cause it has, uh, you know, for power, for, you know, strength, all that. What, what, what are you, what are your kind of your core exercises you, you think uh, every runner should incorporate into their plan? Yeah, I guess um, when it comes to, say, strength training, like weight training, mm-hmm. um, I actually don't consider that a part of cross training. I think it's just an integral part of a runner. Like cross okay. training is like a running alternative, in my in my opinion anyway. Yeah. But I think that all runners should be doing some form of strength training if they wanted to improve their running performance mm-hmm. um, and if they wanted to build up their capacity throughout their body in order to tolerate higher levels of running. So it just makes sense to me that all runners should be doing it. And we do have a lot of science to back up. If you do strength training, you will get better as an endurance athlete. And that being marathons, that being like really long distances, uh, your body just becomes more efficient aerobically mm-hmm. if you were to be in the gym once or twice a week, lifting heavy weights. And I'm talking about heavy weights. I'm not talking about doing body weight exercises because very common experience runners, they go to the gym, they do body weight squats, they do body weight calf raises, they do body weight lunges because they're good at it because they're most likely quite lean or um, quite strong when it comes to the endurance side of things. And Mm -hmm. they want to stick to what they're good at. And so they do what they're good at. Uh, But Tons of research to show that if you slowly build up the strength to um, squat, deadlift, lunge, heavier weights, so we're talking like a eight to 10 rep max, you will benefit more in your endurance endeavors than compared to if you were to go in the gym and just do body weight stuff. And there's one way, there's one analogy I like to say, people have different strength buckets. So you have your endurance strength bucket, you have your absolute strength bucket, and then you have your power plyometric style bucket. They are your three domains of strength. If you have all of those buckets full, you are a resilient, well-rounded athlete, and your odds of breaking down are close to zero. What we see with athletes, especially like ultra athletes, they're doing more than enough endurance during their running throughout their week, their, their endurance bucket is full up to the brim. Yeah. But when they go into the gym and they do all these aerobic-based exercises, they're trying to fill up their endurance bucket when it's already full to the brim and they're just leaving their strength bucket, their absolute strength and their power buckets empty. And so there's no point, there's no efficiency in doing that. So you might as well while you're in the gym, spend some time slowly adapting to lift heavier and heavier. I'm not Mm. saying go straight to the gym and, you know, rack up 80 kilos and then try to squat, you know, for three reps. Yeah. That's not, that's going to set you up for injury, but start slow, (laughs) start within your capabilities, but then have the idea and the goal to slowly adapt to lifting heavier and heavier weights. And we're talking squats, we're talking deadlifts, we're talking lunges, we're talking calf raises, those uh, main four, I, I think with the calf raises, you can do a straight leg calf raise and you can also do a bent knee calf raise. Both of those are quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just stick to those, keep it really basic. If you want to start with basic, that's all you need yeah. and your performance will start to improve. If you start to get quite bored of those exercises, there's tons of variations you can do. There's hundreds, thousands of variations you can do. Um, but if you want to stick to the basics, that's what you can start with. Nice. Nice. No, that's good, man. That's, that's real good. And in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm working out legs tomorrow. So that's, that's exactly Great. what I'm doing. So yeah, I did yeah. mine this morning. So that yeah. makes two of us. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be walking around funny tomorrow. So, uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, no, that's great, man. And that, that's good. I, and I did, I did notice, um, you know, I was looking through your book and I noticed, I like that, that bucket analogy, you know, because really as in, as, as ultra runners, man, our endurance is, is, you know, phenomenal usually. And, uh, we neglect so many, just, they just run. That's it. You know, they neglect weights and heavyweights. Uh, I'm guilty. I do, I do, I do some body weight things, a lot of it for, for stretching purposes and some things like that, but I love lifting. And so, um, anyway, I'm, I'm, 
Now, now, I, now I can justify it a little bit better. <laughs> God lift heavy. Lift yeah. heavy. So yeah. what about, what about, um, I, I know all those lower body, do you recommend any other like for, for core, um, for core, for upper body and something because, you know, we're, we're using those for yeah, balance I, and everything. I think as a well-rounded athlete, like coordination and um, just for firing different muscles within the body, I do think it's important. Like I do think it's important that you have a well-rounded body for, for strength work because you want a strong core, you want a strong back, you want strong upper body to in order to do things like lunges and squats. Like if you do a back squat, you can't just be really strong with the legs. You need to be really strong with your trunk, really yeah. strong with your back, really strong across your shoulders. So being a well-rounded athlete is important, but when it comes to performance side of things, like the running performance side of things, um, it's not as high on the priority list as like the strength work when requires for running because your hips, your knees, your ankles, they're the ones that are copying all of that load. They're the ones that copying the brunt of all that force, all that ground reaction force, all that propulsion when you have to run faster or run up hills, um, yeah. all that ground reaction force when you have to go downhill and really thump downhill your body, your upper body isn't really doing a lot of that. So it's, right. it's important, but it's not as high on the priority list in my mind. Yeah. Gotcha. No, that's good. And, and, and I'm just, no, I'm looking through, I mean, you cover a lot of this stuff in, in the, in the ebook. Um, so one of the things i noticed you have here in the ebook and, and I guess it, it's interesting because everybody has their, their preferences, but you have shoe selection um, because, you know, I mean, I, you could probably see right back, there a little bit. I've got, uh, my ultra, uh, red, I'm an ultra guy. I like that. It works for me, but what do you, how do you encourage people uh, to find their shoe? I, I didn't get a chance to read the chapter. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy just to talk through the entire chapter with you. So, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. um, the idea of the book is to increase your running performance. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I wanted to delve into what the research shows, what the science shows when it comes to shoes and performance and, particularly around shoe weight, because we know that uh, when it comes to running performance, you want to improve your running economy. Yeah. So running economy is um, if two runners run side by side at the same speed, there's w one runner who's more economical. They're more efficient at utilizing their oxygen. They're more efficient at utilizing the, the oxygenated blood that runs through their body. And so they don't feel as tired as the runner next to them running at the same speed. They're more economical. When it comes to running economy and shoe selection, there's tons of science to show that lighter shoes, and we're talking like, you know, 100 grams lighter, um, improves your running economy. You actually start to improve. There's uh, anywhere, I think there were some studies to show that if it reduces by 100 grams, improves your running economy by around about 3 to 4% in about wow. six weeks. So it's quite, quite impressive. It's yeah, quite yeah. a profound um, difference. And usually, which I go through in the chapter, there's usually a trade-off when it comes to shoes being lighter and it's usually less support. And there are exceptions to the rules these days. There's different technology foams coming out, which actually a shoe can be very supportive, but actually very lightweight. So there are exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, if there is a lighter shoe, it usually offers less support. So we want to make sure that we are careful with how we transition our shoe selection, but um, when it comes to performance, if you do want to increase your running performance and you're not injured, you can find a lighter shoe, very gradually uh, transition to that shoe. And I do say so gradually because I see so many runners transition to a different type of shoe, a different structure, a different support way yeah. too quickly, and then they yep. just get injured. Yep. So make sure that we are safe um, because it tends to change the narrative around like if someone does find a lighter shoe that is a little bit more flimsy, less support, and then they get injured because they transition way too quickly, they blame the shoe. They say, no, I just yeah. get injured in this shoe. It's not for me, but yeah. it's too abrupt of an, a change. Um, your mileage can stay exactly the same, but if that transition is too rapid, it's too much of an abrupt shift to what, um, what the body's used to. Mm -hmm. They're shifting loads to other parts of the body that might not be used to these sort of loads. So you get these overuse injuries. And so- very, if I was to summarize the chapter, yes, if you want to increase your running performance, find the lighter shoe, make sure you transition gradually. Um, and that's kind of where that's kind of the realm you want to be in. Good. Nice. Nice. Uh, Hey, just this kind of a side note, what are your thoughts of the, uh, the carbon fiber plates they're putting in some of the shoes now? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do, I want to ride on the carbon fiber shoes and there's a, um, some quotes that I have in there 
but there's not, I like to fall on the research and because they're so new, there's not a lot of research out there. Yeah. Um, I did have uh, Simon Bartold is like one of the best world leading podiatrists and has worked with a lot of designing a lot of uh, shoes in particular carbon fiber shoes. And I interviewed him on my podcast and I just asked like, what's the deal? Like, who's it for? How much improvement are we talking? And because we're seeing, he was quite surprised how, um, profound some of these carbon fiber shoes are. Yeah. And he does say that there's a lot of misconceptions around it. In his opinion, he thinks that the um, carbon fiber shoes are designed for very, very good runners, like elite athletes. Uh, but he does say that you're finding a lot of improvements in marathon times in the recreational level running with these carbon fiber shoes. And so I don't talk too much in the chapter about carbon fiber shoes because I don't have any evidence to fall, fall back on. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a, quite a high placebo effect when it comes to wearing these shoes and just going out and running as fast as you can. Yeah. But uh, the science does tend to show if there's, there's no publications, but the, the actual theory behind why they're, um, they're making you quite fast holds true as well. Um, people think it acts like a spring and people think that the, the, the actual carbon fiber plate springs you forward, but actually doesn't do that. It actually acts like a lever. Um, it actually uh, helps if you contact with your heel and you sort of use that, that carbon fiber shoe as a, as a lever when you contact with your heel, that's where you're getting those improvement benefits. Mm. Um, there's also technologies in the foam, like the amount of absorption and the amount of it to produce output once it's, it's hit the ground um, is far superior to other foams that are found in other shoes. So there's yeah. a lot of benefit in those. Um, but a lot of people think, oh, I need to run on my toes with these carbon fiber shoes because it'll act like a spring and launch you forward. That's what I initially thought when I saw all these carbon fiber shoes coming out, but it actually does quite the opposite. You'll actually not receive a lot of benefit with that plate if you're a four foot runner and more of a benefit if you are a heel striker. Wow, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that as far as heel striking. So, do you have you ever? Um, here, here's the here's the big one of the big uh, things you hear a lot of people back and forth about heel striking versus forefoot striking. Do you just tell people to run naturally, or um, depends on their if they're injured, if they're having issues, or, or how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a very very common conversation that people have. A very common narrative where. Everyone think, well, well, you'll come across it all the time that heel striking is bad for you. Um, heel striking is the devil. Let's transition <laughs> to a midfoot strike because it makes you more efficient. It makes you more natural. Um, it makes you faster, reduces your risk of injury. None of those are true. None of those have shown to be true. Um, but there are some caveats. There are some, some finer details in there because there are some characteristics to a running style that we might want to remove that might be unhelpful, unhelpful for you. One being your overstride. If you are a runner who does contact with your heel really far in front of your body, when you initially very first make contact with the ground, that's something that we want to correct because that produces a breaking force that is unwanted. We don't really want to do that. If we want to be as efficient as economical as we can. If we want to reduce your ground reaction forces, we definitely want to get rid of or reduce that breaking force as much as we can. Yeah. So what we do is we move your initial contact further underneath your body. Doesn't matter if you do that with your forefoot. Doesn't matter if you do that with your heel. It doesn't make a difference, but it does help your running economy. And so a common experience that someone might have if they are overstriding and they contact with the heel, someone might say running or oh, contacting with your heel is the devil. Let's move to a four foot strike and let's see how you go. And they really thrive with that change because yeah. they are now contacting underneath their center of gravity. They're making that shift that I suggested before, but they don't necessarily need to contact with the forefoot. They can contact just as well with their heel underneath their center of mass or close to their center of mass. Um, and have those same profound benefits. And there's a really nice systematic review that covers what systematic reviews do is they compile all the other available literature in the past. So they gather, you know, tens, hundreds of papers on one topic and they combine it all together and come up with a, a complete analysis, a complete consensus around what that topic has shown. 
and there is a good systematic review around transitioning from heel contact to forefoot contact and whether you should do it, whether you need to do it or not. Mm. And their overall recommendations are that you will get just the same amount of benefits if you still contact with the heel, just bring it underneath your body. And the um, there's risks associated with transitioning from a heel contact to a forefoot contact because, like I said, similar to the sudden change in footwear, it is an abrupt change to your body. Yeah. And I think a lot of runners might have this common experience if they've tried this transition is as soon as you go to four foot running, your calves, your Achilles, your feet, they just really cop a lot of brunt of the force. Yeah. And if that, that um, transition is too abrupt, that develops an injury. It develops a stress fracture. It develops like a, um, an Achilles tendinopathy, calf strains, like just foot issues. And so the benefits that may exist if you transition to forefoot, it just doesn't weigh up the risks that are associated because the the benefits may be extremely small, but the risks are extremely high. And so you're very safe if you still contact with your heel because that's what you're used to, but you just do it more under your center of gravity. You become more economical, increase your running performance, and it's less fuss. So um, that's usually where I, I fit. That's usually where my stance is on those sort of things. And I'm, I'm a runner who actually contacts with their forefoot. That's what I've done for my whole entire life. Yeah. I haven't transitioned from a heel contact to a forefoot. Um, I've had a basketball history of just sprinting up and down a basketball court. So I'm used to running on my, my forefoot. And yeah. that's I'm one of the 10, 11% of recreational runners that contact with their forefoot. Heel striking is by far the most prominent, yeah. the most popular style of running. Um, but yeah, that's that's my stance on things. No, and, and I tell people kind of the same thing. If they decide to back to shoes uh, when they go from a you know five millimeter drop, uh, four millimeter, eight millimeter, whatever, to like a zero drop, or anytime you change that, you change the stressors. Same thing, you know, on your your heel, your 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 calves, your your feet. You know, uh, yeah. Take take it slow. Any big change in in form, uh, don't go crazy. <laughs> I uh, I think maybe about two weeks ago. On my social media, on Instagram and things, I released a or reviewed a paper which had runners that had 14 runners transition from a normal shoe, like a normal running shoe, to these barefoot running shoes. And they gave them the advice on how to transition it like appropriately, um, how to do so gradually. And they just followed them for, I think, like eight weeks and saw how they went. And 12 out of the 14 runners got injured. And that is enormous. <laughs> yeah, it is enormous. <laughs> but they, um, most of them were stress fractures. Um, most of them were like foot-related, ankle-related injuries. And then they interviewed them afterwards. And none of them followed the recommended guidelines or the pamphlet or that followed the education. And so that sums up runners in general. They're like, yeah. okay, let me try it. Let me do too much. And have that huge abrupt change. And <laughs> yeah. 12 out of 14 runners to end up with an injury is enormous. And so I posted that article to show people what not to do. <laughs> and yeah, it's quite enlightening for people. That, 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 that's yeah, that's, that's runners in general. Now, now the funny thing is, is uh, when I, I think we might've talked about this last time, but when I started running, when I really started running and training for a marathon, I started, now I started slow, but I started with the Vibram five fingers because I read born to run. This is way back in yeah. 2009, yeah. but I started that way and I took it slow. And I, I mean, I ran my first marathon in, in Vibram's on, on pavement and I was fine. I was good, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, it helped, it helped me establish a good form, you know, and yeah. uh, with, with the ground feel and everything. And that's one of the reasons I like, I wear outro shoes because they're zero drop it and it, it, i need cushion now uh, under my feet but i want to keep the same form and not have a, a heel you know so that's what works for me you know yeah and it goes to show that you can thrive like a lot of times when i talk about shoes or running form or improving like mileage i don't say it's i don't say not to do it i don't say mm -hmm. that people no people should run in barefoot shoes or minimalist shoes i say you definitely can but just yeah. make sure it's gradual. Make sure you adapt to that. Yeah. I, I run in minimalist shoes. They're not five finger, um, like a hundred percent minimalist. They're about the 90 to 95% minimalist. So zero drop, really light, really flimsy, but I have adapted to those shoes. They're yeah. exactly the same as you. I've had that experience. And if I increase my mileage and my calves are a little bit sore or my Achilles are a little bit tight, I'll, 
sub them out for another more supportive shoe for one or two runs, let it recover, then, you know, slowly just adjust between the two. And it goes to show how much the body can adapt. And, you know, we've just finished the Paralympics and you see runners who run with like limps or one leg longer than the other. And like, say a high jumper with really poor biomechanics as they run up to the, the, the high jump bar, but they thrive because the body has adapted to running to that technique. They've adapted to built up the capacity to run a certain way. Um, they've trained sort of within their adaptation zone and built up stronger, like all runners should. And so the same thing can be said for a lot of like ultra or a lot of elite runners when you look at them and their pronation, they're like, step with their, their sort of techniques is suboptimal and it's almost cringeworthy when you look at them in slow motion, the amount of pronation they have external rotation, but the body has adapted to that running style as it's amazing what the body can do. If you give it enough time, give it patience, which runners don't often have, but if you're sensible, if you're, um, if you train accordingly, then the body will adapt to almost all things. A great example of that for ultra runner is uh, Camille Heron. Um, she's she's got a degree in uh, in physio some, somewhere along the way, but she's got I think one leg longer than the other, and she's got issues. But she's got like she's got the world records for you know the the, the fastest hundred. She's got all these records, and when you watch her run, like you said, kind of cringeworthy. You're like, yeah, that's that's Camille. You know, <laughs> like you can you can see it, but she's adapted herself. You know, and and there she's able go. to run at a super level. And uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing what what the what the human body's capable of yeah totally agree so i want to um you know before before we before we finish up and uh but i want to make sure your last chapter is on race day mindset now i love talking about uh your your mind okay we we train our bodies we can do everything right but your mind can make you or break you on race day uh before the race you know with how you pray during the race uh when things get hard you know, your body can still be physically able to move forward and, and accomplish your goal, but your, your mind can, can mess you up. So I, I didn't get a chance to, to look at this, but, uh, what, what, what do you, how do you coach people? And what do you say in the book about just race day mindset? Yeah, I think I had to have a chapter around mindset. If we're talking about say a marathon performance or an mm-hmm. ultra marathon performance, because, you're like you said, your mind is a huge limiting factor. And if you don't enhance that the mental strength, then you're going to let yourself down on race day. And so the, the chapter talks about some things that you can tap into to help build up your mental resiliency. There's certain things that you can do to um, help your strategies or like key strategies to help on race day. And so one of them that I have written down there is remembering like why you're running in the first place. Mm. So a lot of people tend to forget or don't really ask themselves these deep seated questions of why they actually run. And so we need to build up that motivation for a lot of people when it gets to those tough times. So, you know, three quarters of the way or halfway into a certain race and you're starting to feel really sluggish, starting to really start to slow down. You can easily talk yourself out of that. Um, you can easily go one way or another. You can build up those motivation levels. Remember the reason why you're running, have a really deep seated um, conversation with yourself around why you run. Is it for, you know, setting yourself an example for your kids? Is it doing like if a charity, is it like just showing yourself what you're capable of? Because if you remind yourself of that, you can really switch, switch yourself into back into a performance state. Yeah. On the opposite side, if you don't have a high motivation level, as soon as things get tough, you're just going to give up. You're, you're going to yeah. talk yourself out of it. And you're not really going to um, perform to the best of your ability. But apart from the reason why, there are also other little strategies involved to help your mindset on race day. And depending on things like distractions, de- depending on things like um, like just keeping yourself quite occupied, mentally occupied, following a plan to a T or having a plan to a T can be really nice. I had um, an author of um, this running book that it was called the um, practices, the science and practice of long distance running. And it delves into a lot of science around running. And I interviewed the author, Brian Hanley, and he talks about on race day, you want to keep your cognitive um, processes 
really fine line. Like you don't really want to overexert yourself mentally. And he used like the strategies of like having a marathon pacer. Yes, it helps to pace your run, but it also gets rid of a lot of the cognitive thinking around your splits, around how you're feeling, around where you should be at this point in time, takes a lot of that out, takes that equation out. And so you're really crystal clear and you're not building up a lot of this cognitive work that mm-hmm. translates into physical exhaustion down the track. And so the chapter covers a lot of those sort of strategies around when it gets quite tough, talking to someone, high-fiving the crowd, like reading all the um, the funny posters and signs that they have on the sides just to embrace the moment in, in certain situations throughout the race. Um, there's a lot of those sort of things that can be had, a lot of those tactics, a lot of those tools that you can have in your in your belt in order for you to perform mentally on race day, as well as physically. Yeah. I've always been amazed at, um, you know, I could be dead tired. And then, you know, when I see the finish line, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm you flying. Go. it's like, you know, and, and where was that 10 miles ago? You know, where, where was, yeah. the, you know, and it's, it's just tapping into that and, and trying to, you know, yeah, we do need to work our bodies, but, uh, I think, I think we neglect the mind. And, and it's so important to have I had somebody, uh, before I ran my first ultra, uh, said that, uh, she would have friends write down on little slips of paper, like encouraging things. And when she would get down, she'd pull one out and read it, you know, and it'd give her a boost. And so it's just, just things like that to, to get us, uh, get our mind away from the, the pain, the, the drudgery and, uh, and the same thing with the pacer, if you can latch on to somebody and just let them pull you along, mentally that's that's a huge help yeah yeah and i think like any time a race gets tough especially for a marathon like ultras you might not have a crowd you might not have like yeah, no. um, music those sort of <laughs> things but like just say a, a marathon for an example like if i'm feeling really tired and i either start encouraging other runners like if runners are passing me and you say good job keep up the good work good pace um if you pass runners and you say keep it up you know there's only mm-hmm. 10k's to go if you're talking to fans or like um, families on the side if you're high-fiving people you can just feel the fatigue and the heaviness just go away it's yeah. really profound and um the act of smiling like if you're just by yourself if we're using trails as an example just put yourself in a really nice mood. Think of things you're grateful for. Um, think of like just even just really little things. Thanks, um, thanks to your elbow for not being so stiff when you're running. Thanks to <laughs> yeah. your your left foot for not getting a blister. Thanks to and you just start going through a list. You start smiling. All of a sudden, all that those fatigue levels start to dissipate. And so, yeah, it does take strategies. These are things that you need to like practice gratitude, gratitude lists actually is a skill that you do need to practice. Um, The same thing with mental resiliency. If you are in training and you have to do a really long, say 30 miler and you talk yourself out of it and pull up short at 25 miles on race day, your resiliency, your mental resiliency is going to be really weak. Whereas if you go through training in those tough moments and you use these mental strategies and you sort of push yourself and there's no question around stopping. There's no doubt in your mind that you're going to finish these long runs. When it gets to race day, you're going to be so resilient. There's going to be no doubt about completing the, to the end. And it's, it's going to really be advantageous to your performance because you're mentally strong. Yeah. Uh, my, my runners are probably tired of hearing me say this. Cause I always tell them when you go into an aid station, whether you feel like it or not smile and ask the aid station workers how they're doing and thank them for being there. And, uh, yeah. man, it, it helps, you know, it helps. And it, it, and I think, I think as runners, we just need to do that anyway. You know, people are out there and, uh, it keeps the atmosphere where it needs to be and it'll help us along. So gratitude. Yeah. Is huge, Very well said. Huge. Very well said. Yeah, man. Well, Brody, man. So, uh, how do people, uh, get in touch with you? What's, what's, what's the website and how do they get this, this awesome book here with, with all this amazing information? Uh, I can make it really easy for the ebook side of things. So I can provide a link for you. It's just like a sign up link. If they want to get volume one and volume two of the ebook, um, they can just sign up, enter their details and then the the ebook can be emailed to them. Um, when it comes to contacting me, like I always recommend first and foremost, go to the podcast, have a listen to those first 10 episodes. Um, because if they do want to reach out and they do 
like educate themselves and they're really struggling to overcome an injury mm-hmm. um, without sort of tailored advice. I really want them to be set up. I really want them to, to already know these 10 universal principles. And so um, important that they do invest in their running IQ themselves. Don't just yeah. rely on a health professional. Um, but if they do want to reach out, there's um, I can, I set up a 20 minute free injury chat for anyone who wants to have a quick chat. So I can maybe send you the link to that as well. Sure. And my website is breakthroughrunning.physio if they wanted to explore some online physio um, and yeah, delve into that. All right. Yeah. And I encourage everybody to check out the podcast. I noticed it's been doing really well on the charts and stuff, man. So congratulations on that. You, you Thank provide you. a lot of good information and, and, uh, like just, just like before when I've had you on, man, I, I appreciate you sharing and, uh, and not just hoarding all the, all the information you have and, uh, just, just, just helping runners to run better, man. I appreciate that. So thank you for, for being on here. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks David. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Anytime. We'll do it again. You got to write something else so we can get you on again. (laughs) Yeah. Round three. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, take care, brother.